Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. We are now on what? Is it... Is it section five of this Fat Loss Basics mini-series? I am really enjoying it. I hope you are too. Yeah, this is part five. What I wanted to do is kick off 2016 with a focus on the most high-impact areas of fat loss. And we started out in part one with calories and hormones. And then in part two, we talked about carbohydrates. In part three, we talked about protein. In part four, we talked about dietary fat. If you haven't checked out that one, that was a real popular one. And today we're going to be talking about fitness. And you'll remember that this whole thing is really based on the notion of less but better. I want 2016 for all of us, myself included, to allow us to not focus on all the nuances, to not get distracted by the details and the little things that don't really drive results. I want us to do less but be more effective and more efficient in the things that we do. I want us to seek less information but have the information we do seek be high impact and really going to move the needle and drive results. I am a big fan of the 80-20 rule. Back months and months ago, I did an entire episode on the 80-20 rule of fat loss, and the 80-20 rule, or the Pareto principle, basically states that 80% or more of our results, the majority of our results, come from just 20% or less of our efforts. And so if we could narrow down what we do, what we focus on, what we try to execute to that most powerful, most high impact 20%, we could do less, have more time, have more energy, and get even more results because we're cutting out all the extraneous junk that doesn't really drive our results, get us where we want to go. And this is true in all areas of life, but what I'm really trying to do with this Fat Loss Basics series is narrow this stuff down to what you really need to know, which makes it a little strange for me to do an episode on fitness. Because on the one hand, movement is awesome. It's healthy. It makes you feel good, right? It's good for you and nobody's going to debate that. But on the other thing, it's not the most significant factor for fat loss. It is not in the 20%. And a lot of people focus too much time and attention and energy on the fitness side of things at the expense of focusing on food and nutrition. And then they feel like they're trying so hard and they're investing so much time and energy, but they're not seeing the results that they want. And and here's what I really want to challenge you to take just a few minutes to think about. And I went through this in a lot more detail on the Breaking Barriers webinars last week. I want you to ask yourself, why haven't you reached your goal? Whatever your goal is, if it's fat loss, weight loss, a particular relationship with food where you feel like you have more control than it does, why haven't you reached your goal? 
What throws you off track? What are your barriers? What needs to be improved? And the reason that I ask these questions is so that we can each individually be more efficient with our time and our energy and our effort. We have to solve the problems that really matter for us. We have to implement the strategies that are going to be most impactful on our own journeys. We need to address the barriers that are keeping us from making progress. And for most people, that's not exercise. That's not to say that fitness isn't important and exercise isn't healthy. Of course, exercise is wonderful and healthy. But complexity is the enemy of execution. And the more we try to do, the less we really execute on. For most people who have not reached their goals related to weight loss, their struggles are related to food, overeating, emotional eating, maybe drinking, the all-or-nothing mentality where they're super, super strict for a while and then they're out of control for a while, or too much snacking, soda, things like that. But these are often the same people putting a ton of pressure on themselves to get to the gym four times a week. And I look at that as solving the problem that isn't instead of focusing on the problem that is. The example I use often is with one of my clients when we first started working together, We were talking about these questions I just asked you. What really holds her back? And she identified her most significant barrier to weight loss as opportunity eating. Having a plan and being prepared and having plenty of fat loss friendly choices, talking herself into being really good, eating really clean, but then diving into the cookies because they're there, or having pizza because somebody brought it into the office, and then when we were trying to establish her first 30-day goal, she sug- she, blah, blah, blah. she suggested 10,000, say that five times fast, maybe you could and I just can't, you're special, I'm not. She suggested 10,000 steps per day as her 30-day goal to be consistently hitting 10,000 steps per day. Now, that's not a bad goal, it's not. Movement is wonderful, 10,000 steps a day, that's great, it's better than 2,000 or 5,000. But I said to her, let's fast forward in our minds and imagine that we're 30 days from now and you're consistently hitting this goal of 10,000 steps per day. That's awesome, right? But what does that do for what you said was your barrier? That for what you said was keeping you from weight loss, this opportunity eating that's sabotaging your attempt at making good food choices? Well, nothing. And that's why... I bring that up because we have a finite amount of energy and attention and willpower. We have to know what our barriers are and we have to set goals related to those, not just go after like, oh, it'd be great to drink more water. Oh, it'd be great to work out three times a week. We have limits and so many people will start a diet and be like, all right, today's the day. I'm going to I'm going to eat less. I'm going to skip the soda. I'm going to drink more water, eat more vegetables, get to sleep earlier and work out four times a week along with my job and caring for my family and everything else. Just that plan of all the things you're going to change and do in and of itself is exhausting and overwhelming because Improving your eating habits and and losing weight isn't the only thing in your life. And even if it was, that's a lot of things to change at once. This isn't the biggest loser. Chances are you have a job, a home to run, a family, other obligations. So you already don't have 100% of your attention on this. It's like deciding 
that in addition to your job and your family and your other responsibilities, you are going to decide to learn seven languages right now. Yep, starting now, seven languages, starting on Monday. I'm really excited. How much time and attention does each one get? Very little. How quickly are you going to make progress learning each of those seven languages? Probably not very quickly. How quickly are you going to get frustrated? Mighty fast. How stressed and overwhelmed are you likely to feel by all the things that you need to do? We won't do it. It's crazy. And that's, that's what we do over and over again with dieting. And I know, I know, this is the fitness podcast. We'll get there. But my point is, this is why the 80-20 rule is so important. You will get a higher return on your time and energy and effort when you improve your eating habits than you will by working out because you cannot out-exercise a bad diet. You can't. Fat loss is 90% nutrition, 90% your food choices, and the reason that most people are not reaching their goals has to do with food. So most of us would be far better served to invest our time and our energy on a singular goal, singular, uno, one, related to our own unique biggest barrier, which most likely has to do with food or food preparation or emotional eating, right, or, or sleep or stress, doesn't mean you can't get to fitness. Of course you can, right? But the faster that you get results with a lower chance of giving up and giving in means that you can focus on other things once you tackle the bigger rocks. We tend to, I'm just going to like kind of speak kind of frankly and maybe make you a little bit uncomfortable, but we distract ourselves with planning and we boost our ego with our intentions. Like our plan looks great. We feel really good. We've psyched ourselves up. It's like a little ego boost, but it's artificial. It's false affirmation and it's distraction because we rarely follow through with the plan. But at some point, you'll get to the point where you're ready to add in fitness or maybe fitness and working out is already a well-established and effortless habit for you and you just want to make your workout time more efficient for fat loss. We'll talk about that now, now that I've pre-gamed for a while. <laughs> Let me just say, movement is awesome. It is healthy. But that doesn't mean that all exercise, all movement is equal in terms of fat loss. Just like food that is healthy might not be fat loss friendly. Or you can take a healthy food or a fat loss friendly food item and use it in a way that inhibits fat loss, right? By overeating or eating it at a time of day that doesn't really facilitate fat loss, right? The same is true of exercise. Any activity or exercise can be awesome and healthy, great for endurance or cardiovascular health or the emotional and mental benefits like relaxation and stress relief and mood. But that doesn't mean that it's the most effective for fat loss. Does that mean you shouldn't do it? No, of course not. It depends on why you are doing it. Is Zumba the most effective exercise for fat loss? No, it's not. But as I've said before, if you love Zumba, Zumba your freaking heart out. Because ultimately, the best exercise is the one that you're going to do. That always beats the one that you plan to do. Never do. Beat yourself up for not doing while you think about when you'll get around to actually doing it, right? What I want to talk about today is the exercise that isn't ideal for fat loss and the exercise and the exercises that are ideal for fat loss. 
But if you are doing something you love, don't stop, right? It's just like with food. We don't have to take the perfect path. We take the path that works for us and the path that represents an improvement for us and that generates the results that we are individually after. And we aren't married to that path. It's not all or nothing. Do what works for you and adjust as you go. I'm just talking about efficiency and inefficiency for the goal of fat loss. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever got in a great workout and felt really good about yourself and then came home and ate your face off? I mean, not like literally, because if you ate your face off or anybody else's face off, like don't tell me because I won't like you anymore and we can't be friends if you're a face eater. But have you ever either decided, (laughs) I'm punchy, it's later than normal for me to be recording and when the sun goes down, I get a little loopy. But anyway, not face eating loopy, but loopy nonetheless. Have you ever decided that like maybe you earned a special treat because you've worked out so hard and then that took you down a slippery slope of overdoing it? Or you finished the workout and then you were so ravenously and insatiably hungry for the rest of the day or the following day that you just felt like you couldn't stop eating? One of my clients, I just saw this recently, she was exercising a lot, a couple of times a day, and she insisted that she needed it. And... I I repeatedly pointed out, so on those days when you're doing two spin classes, are you noticing that you're eating a lot more like every single time that that happens? Not because she's weak or even because she was justifying it like, oh, I'm going to overdo it because I worked out. But some types of exercise notoriously trigger hunger and cravings, while other types of exercise blunt hunger and cravings. Other types of exercise decrease your energy and leave you feeling totally spent. And none of us make as good food choices when we're totally exhausted and wiped out as we do when we feel really great and high energy. Other types of exercises make you feel rejuvenated. Now, some of this is based on the hormonal response generated by a particular type of exercise, but other parts of it are just our personality, right? Some of us are just more in the habit of justifying overindulging when we exercise, canceling out the benefit entirely, and that's just a decision that we make. Others feel really motivated to eat well after exercising, and this is why I push tracking so much. Every single day, I get emails from two different camps of people. The first is like, I can't track, I don't wanna track, I don't like the idea of it, tell me what I should do without tracking. And then the other camp is, All right, Elizabeth, I finally took your advice after hearing it for a year. I'm tracking and oh my God, it's changing everything because you need to know and understand yourself, right? The common type of exercise, and the reason I say that is because we all respond differently. I know for me what type of exercise is going to make me eat through the fridge and what type of exercise curbs my appetite. I want to do the latter, Because I don't want to be battling hunger all day long and feel like I need to lock myself in a padded room that won't, you know, allow me to eat the walls. Like, that is not a good feeling. So that's why tracking is so important. The common type of exercise that increases hunger and cravings and leads many people to overeat is chronic cardio. And I use the word chronic very intentionally because when I say the word chronic, what I mean is repetitive and longer duration because sprinting is cardiovascular exercise, but it's not chronic. So we're talking about 
longer duration, moderate intensity workouts trigger a lot of people to eat more because they have more hunger and more cravings. So we're talking about things like jogging or a cardio group exercise class or your 45 minutes on the elliptical or the stair mill. Exercise induces a hormonal response and our hormones are constantly signaling within our body and they can turn fat burning on or off, they can turn hunger on and off, cravings on or off, energy up or down, mood high or low. Different types of exercises create different hormonal responses. And the primary concern with chronic cardio from a fat loss perspective, and again, I'm not talking, I'm not saying it's not good for endurance or not good for your mood. If you love it, do it. I'm talking about fat loss. The, the primary concern is its impact on one of your stress hormones, cortisol. And what we want to see with exercises that are great for fat loss is a synergistic hormonal response. We want to see acute increases in cortisol, plus some adrenaline, some human growth hormone, some testosterone. Well, we don't see that with chronic cardio. What we see with chronic cardio is a cortisol elevation that stays up there a little bit longer than what we'd prefer to see without the benefit of those other players in the game like the human growth hormone. And there are three challenges here that we see with chronic cardio and cortisol being elevated as a result of chronic cardio. Number one, cortisol compounds the fat storing potential of insulin. No bueno when your goal is fat loss. Number two, elevated cortisol often triggers hunger and cravings. And you know as well as I do how even the best intentions struggle to stand up to cravings. And then number three, elevated cortisol can trigger your body to break down muscle tissue, which obviously has a very much less than desirable impact on your body composition. Nobody wants to look like a floppy sack of skin, but it also lowers your overall metabolic rate. Now, the people who are at the highest risk of this last thing, the um, muscle breakdown caused by elevated cortisol and chronic cardio, the people who are at the highest risk here are the crash dieters because they're not giving their body enough fuel and then they're elevating their cortisol with chronic cardio and your body has to meet up those fuel needs somehow and it is likely to break down your muscle tissue. So if you are the crash dieter, treadmill or elliptical junkie or you know group exercise class, class junkie, this is likely to be a challenge for you. And some people are more sensitive to this elevated cortisol from chronic cardio than other people. Individuals who have a higher baseline cortisol level, maybe that's just their genetic predisposition. Maybe they're under a tremendous amount or even a significant amount of emotional or mental stress, or they're under physical stress or illness or injury. And people love chronic cardio because they think that it's a great calorie burn. Well, you will remember from part one of this Fat Loss Basic Cereals, uh, cereals, no, this is not anything to do with cereal. You will remember from part one that calories are not the be all end all. And just because you are burning calories does not mean you're burning fat, my friends. Remember, I just said you are putting yourself at risk for burning through that precious muscle tissue. Plus, what matters is what happens after the workout. When you hop off the treadmill, well, the workout's over. The calorie burn is done. And I personally prefer the investing approach. You guys know that like I was big into Dave Ramsey and paying down my debt and I'm like a, a finance and investing geek. 
But I consider another type of workout the investing of exercise. Do a little work now and have it pay dividends. And that is certainly not what you get from chronic cardio. You get this, what I consider the investing of exercise, from high-intensity interval training, okay? And this can be done in just about any way that you can imagine it. The options are limitless. And if you haven't yet read my free fat loss best practices guide, I give a bunch of examples and I go into a lot of detail on high intensity interval training. You can get that by texting 2015 guide, one word, to the number 44222, or I will also link to it in the show notes if you're not a texter or if you're not in the United States. I will link to that free guide on the show notes page for this episode at primalpotential.com. When I talk about high-intensity interval training, do not let that scare you. High-intensity is relative. We all have our own relative low, medium, and high-intensity, right? And all of our answers are right. You and I could go outside right now and say, all right, let's both do our our low-intensity jog. And then let's both do our medium intensity jog. And then let's both do our high intensity jog. And we do them side by side. They would look totally different and we would both be right because it's relative. There is not some magical threshold and you can only do high intensity at some fitness level. No, high intensity refers to what is a high intensity for you. There was a time of my life where high-intensity interval workout for me was walking up the stairs at my house, right? I'm not kidding. And you know what? That's great. That's perfectly wonderful. It's relative, and every answer is right because it's relative to your body. The other major misconception is when we talk about high-intensity interval training, we must be talking about high impact, like jogging or running. No, You can do high intensity with running or jogging, but you can do high intensity intervals with zero impact whatsoever. In fact, that's what I personally do most often. Most of my intervals, when we're talking about cardio stuff, is on the rowing machine. No impact at all. And you can do high intensity intervals at any fitness level. You can do it at a gym with all the equipment in the world, or you can do this at home with zero equipment at all. I've got three favorite things about high-intensity interval training. Number one, the burn. The calorie burn, the metabolic afterburn, keeps going for long after the activity is over. That's why I call it the investing of exercise, because your body keeps working long after you're done. Number two, it's super effective for fat loss. And number three, these workouts are so short because they are high-intensity. This isn't paced. If you are doing longer duration type workouts, you have to pace yourself. High intensity interval training is about your maximum effort for a very short period of time. You aren't holding anything back. You aren't pacing yourself. You're going for what represents for you your maximum effort for your body. Most people cannot sustain their max effort for more than 30 seconds at a time. Now, if we're talking about like CrossFit competitors and things like that, like going to the games and doing whatever, they're an anomaly. But like we're talking average schmoes. I'm an average schmo. If you're listening to this, I lo- there's nothing wrong with being an average schmo when it comes to not being like going to the CrossFit games this year. But if you're a beginner, you might start out with an interval that's only maybe like 10 or 15 seconds. That's great. 
That's great. And there are a couple of ways to determine the number of intervals, the amount of rest time. Uh, and I go into this in that guide that I was just telling you about. And you can do these intervals, and I give lots of different examples of the modality here, but you can do it running, jogging, rowing, swimming, biking, lifting weights, doing body weight movements like body weight squats or push-ups, going up and down the stairs, you name it. So I, I do go into this in a bit more detail in that free fat loss best practices guide. So you can text 2015 guide one word to the number 44222. Or if you're not in the United States or you don't feel like texting, just go to the show notes page for this episode. Now, the key to making these intervals effective is the intensity. So if you decide, I'm going to take a stroll for 30 seconds and then I'm going to sit on my butt for a minute, that is an interval, but it's not going to work in the way that I'm talking about. We need to get the epoch effect. Epoch stands for excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. And that sounds technical, but it's really not. Let's break it down. The former Latin major in me loves like the linguistic stuff. Excess, that's the first word, extra, easy. Post-exercise, I think you're still with me. Oxygen consumption. So your body is using up extra oxygen after your workout. This epoch is what makes high intensity interval training, the investing of exercise. Because when you are doing these short duration, high intensity intervals of whatever movement or modality you pick, you create an oxygen debt. Your body has needed more oxygen to your cells during the workout than you consumed. So it's gonna have to work overtime after the workout to recover that oxygen debt. And when your body has to work extra hard, that increases your metabolic rate. That's your afterburn. Now, if you are thinking, yeah, no thanks. I hate to get winded. I hate to sweat. I hear you. I've been there. The only sweating and getting winded I did for a first 50 pounds of my weight loss was carrying the laundry upstairs. But there is good news for you because leisure walking, just casually strolling, is awesome for fat loss. Seriously, and I'm not just saying that to make you feel better. It's true. First of all, you get moving, right? I mean, less time on your butt is better than more time on your butt. Leisure walking improves your mood, and I think we would all agree that we tend to make better food choices when we feel good about ourselves than when we don't feel so good about ourselves. Plus, leisure walking lowers cortisol, that stress hormone that we were talking about that's victimized by chronic cardio. So it lowers cortisol, and this is going to help with physical stress, but also with hunger and cravings. Plus, of course, with leisure walking, because you're moving, that facilitates blood flow, which is going to help with your energy. It's going to help with your metabolism. And of course, blood flow facilitates fat burning because that's a critical part of, of uh, fat burning. Now, lastly, I want to talk about weight training, right? And this could be hours where we get into the weeds and the nuances, but I told you we're going to stick to what you need to know right? And I go into weight training a little bit more in that fat loss best practices guide. So check that out for sure. Plus, I wrote a blog about the seven best exercises for fat loss. And I did a podcast interview with my own personal trainer. So I'll link to all of that stuff in the show notes. Most people are not going to argue that weight training is 
highly effective for fat loss? Of course it is, right? Your muscle is more metabolically active than your fat tissue. When you weight train, your body spends time recovering, right? You want your body working. And the more muscle tissue you have, the more glucose transporters you have, and the more sensitive they are, which means you respond to insulin more quickly, so you become more efficient at fat burning. And there are two primary things that people get really twisted about weightlifting. Number one, believing that weightlifting makes muscles grow. That's not true. And then not challenging their bodies by lifting heavy enough weight. And you might be like, did she just say that weightlifting doesn't make your muscles grow? Yes. Yes, I did. And I didn't misspeak, though I'm glad you're paying attention. Muscle is a tissue. Tissue can grow from two things steroids, and food. I mean, just think about it, right? Exercise in and of itself uses energy. It takes energy. It breaks down your muscle tissue. Exercise is a catabolic process. Your muscles grow as a result of overfeeding. Your fat tissue grows as a result of overfeeding. Your bicep curls break down your bicep muscles. You feed them, they heal. You overfeed them, they grow. All right, now that I have that off my chest. To benefit from weight training, from a fat loss perspective, you have to apply, apply enough stimulus to your muscles to get a response, to get them to work overtime to heal, to get that after effect that increases your metabolic rate, right? Picking up your stapler and doing curls isn't going to cut it, and that's probably heavier than the pink dumbbells they have in the gym. This is a game of stimulus. Now, this doesn't mean you need to get like a big leather weight belt and throw barbells around. Absolutely not. You can lift heavy weights and apply stimulus needed for response with kettlebells at home or with a sandbag or with free weights or, of course, with dumbbells. But the response of your body depends on the stimulus. And just like intensity is relative when we're talking about intervals, weight is relative when we're talking about heavy. I love my mom. She's awesome. She's a tinker toy. Like, I could break her. What's heavy to her is probably my purse. <laughs> and I'm not ragging on you, Mom. I know you're probably listening. My purse is really heavy. It really is. But what's heavy for me is a joke to my trainer, right? Whatever weight you use, you don't need it to be comfortable cranking out 20 reps, right? Like, you want it to be something that you couldn't easily just, like, you know, have an easy conversation while you, while you get 20 reps in. The other thing that comes into play when we're talking about how to lift weights efficiently for fat loss, you know, is, is muscle recruitment, and we want maximum muscle recruitment. And I'm going to tell you what I mean. This is part of the stimulus response thing I was just talking about. We don't want to apply stimulus to just one or two small muscle groups. That's, that's not efficient, right? We want maximum muscle recruitment so that we're being really efficient. That way we get the biggest bang for our buck. This is, remember, 80-20 rule, less but better. We want to engage with one movement as much of the body as possible. If we're doing bicep curls, we're really only activating a couple of fairly small muscle groups. When your goal is fat loss, you'll want to be more efficient than that. You'll want to focus on moves that engage as many muscle groups as possible. Think about the weighted squat. That's your whole body, 
right? Your largest muscles in the, in the body, your glutes, right? You're activating your glutes, your hamstrings, your quads, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> Sorry, I told you I'm punchy, right? But your calves, your core, your back, your shoulders, your arms, that's about everything. And that's exactly what we want. And in that blog post I mentioned, the seven best exercises for fat loss, I will go through, I'm going to link to that in the show notes for this episode, but I go through the movements that give you maximum muscle engagement. Now, you might be thinking like, okay, so how much, how often, and when? You know me, and you know what I'm going to say, what represents an improvement for you? What can you do? What will you do? Remember the example I said of learning seven languages. If you're maybe getting in two workouts a month right now, please do not say like, okay, so like four times a week, like three strength, one cardio. No, buddy, no. (laughs) No, look at what represents an improvement for you and make one small step forward. If you're currently lucky to get to the gym twice a month, then shoot for three times a month, right? Go once in the next week. Complexity is the enemy of execution. So sorry, I'm not going to script out your plan. I do get a little bit more specific in the interview that I did with my trainer that I'm going to link to in the show notes. So if you want some of that like more nitty gritty stuff, but this I really wanted to keep it high level because whether you do this once a week or three times a week, something is better than nothing. But what I want you to be doing is not wasting your time on things that aren't as effective or as efficient for fat loss. So I hope you enjoyed this. Definitely make sure to get your hands on that 2015 Fat Loss Best Practices Guide if you haven't already. You do that, you can either go to the show notes for this episode at primalpotential.com or if you're in the U.S., text 2015 guide one word, to the number 44222. And if you have questions, definitely check out those other resources that I mentioned earlier or shoot me an email. That's what I'm here for. You guys take care. Have a good one. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.